Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Psalm chapter 1. Today is always a difficult day. It's a tough day to preach because Mother's Day can elicit two, actually a lot of different emotions. Um, obviously, the first emotion is thankfulness and, and how, uh, how grateful we are to have a mother and, and for the mother that, that, that did a great job and we just love her and we, we, we care about her and there's these feelings of closeness. Another possible emotion is a mom that really wasn't all that good of a mom. Some of us didn't have a mom that, that she might have done the best she did, but for whatever reason, she wasn't the best example of a mom. Some lost moms, and whether you're old or young, whenever your mother dies, that takes a piece of you with you. And so there's feelings today of sadness. I actually talked to somebody in First Baptist just after I was finished leaving. She said, you know, my mother died so many years ago, and this is the worst day of the year, and it has been every single year for, for several years because of that. And then others, you know, from a mom's perspective, you might be sad because the children that you want a relationship with don't reciprocate that. Or it might be that your children um, have taken advantage of you, or, or it could be any number of things. And I say that to say it's a difficult day because in this room, all of those emotions are being felt right now by different people. And I want to be sensitive, and I don't want to in any way minimize the pain that some folks might be feeling today, but I also don't want to steal the joy of celebrating mothers as well. So here's what we'll do. The Bible tells us that we're to weep with those who weep, we're to celebrate with those who celebrate, laugh with those who laugh. And so if the person next to you is in a different place today than you are, just, just recognize that, honor that, and... and um, and connect with that. But then at the same time, the joy that the person next to the person without joy feels, it could kind of transfer back and forth. I hope that made sense. But the truth is, Mother's Day is a day that we recognize on the, recognize on the 2nd May of every single year. Now you might say, well, where did it come from? Why do we do it? It actually wasn't a Hallmark invention, surprisingly enough. Um, the lady by the name of Jarvis, Anna Jarvis, in 1907, wanted to honor her mother because she really thought a lot of her mother. She felt like her mother was a great woman. And so she, she started to pass around the idea of, let's celebrate our moms one day a year. They deserve 365 days a year, but we're going to celebrate one day a year. Well, it, it went to Congress a few years later, and Congress apparently joked about it and said, well, if we do Mother's Day, we have to do Mother-in-Law's Day, and nobody wants that. And so they shot it down, and then it kept getting a little more steam and a little more steam, and finally, in 1914, President Woodrow Wilson declared and made a presidential declaration that we would celebrate Mother's Day on the second May of, uh, of the year every single year. Ironically enough, Jarvis, who started Mother's Day, essentially for us, she, at the end of her life, tried to disband it. Not that she didn't love her mother anymore, but she felt like the, commercial, the, the holiday had become too commercialized and missed the whole point. Gee, can we think of any other holidays that that's happened with? Um, 
So that's a little history of Mother's Day. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to specifically celebrate but also give a charge to the mothers in the room. Now you might say, I'm not a mother and so uh, this is not for me. Well, the truth is Psalm chapter 1 is for all of us. Psalm chapter 1 is for all of us because it gives a very simple explanation of the two paths that we can go in, that we can go on in life. And the reason mothers are important here is this. A mother has a connection with a child that only a mother has. Now, we know that in a perfect world, a child would be raised up in a home where there's a mother and a father. We know that to be true. That's the best possible scenario. But more specifically, a mother who loves the Lord and a father who loves the Lord. But realistically, in the world in which we live, we have single mother households or single father households. And so we do the best we can do with what we have. Some fathers have to be mothers for various reasons to their children. The, the, the fact is, a father can never be completely a mother, but by God's grace, they can do a good enough job. And a mother could never be a father to her children because a mother's a mother's a father's a father, but by God's grace... A mother can do an adequate job in the fathering department as well. So what we recognize today is that there's no perfect... The perfect, perfect scenario is not reality for a lot of people for a number of reasons. But having said that, a mother still has a specific and a special connection with her child. Now, you say, why is that? Well, I think it's because of biology. When a child is born... A child has had nine extra months with his mom or her mom. And those nine months, the mom has spent talking to the baby. The mom has spent rubbing the baby. The mom has been spent shifting the baby and all those other things that go along with it, right? And then when a baby is born, the first thing that happens in a perfect scenario is the mother gets to hold the child. And there's that connection there. And I don't know how it works, but my wife as a mother can, th can know things about my kids that I am clueless about. Amen? Like when they were little, she used to say, they're sick. I'm like, no, they're not sick. They're just having a bad day. And she's like, no, she, they got an ear infection. I'm like, no, they don't. Sure enough, she'd take them to the doctor anyway against my better advice. And the doctor would say, yep, they got an ear infection. She'd come home and go, nah, nah, nah. I mean... She calls it her secret spidey sense. Y'all mothers know what that is, right? You just know when something's going on. Again, I can't explain it. I just know that that's kind of the way it is. Dads have a different role in a, in a child's life than mothers do. For the most part, if you look at the, tradi the traditional roles of mothers, mothers are more nurturing and mothers are the ones that the kids always say hello to on TV when they're famous. Hi, mom. Do you ever hear a professional football player say, hi, dad? Nope. Only to moms. Hi, mom. Why is that? Because, again, there's a special connection. So what does a mother do? What is a mother's goal? What is a mother's responsibility? Psalm chapter 1 gives us two ways to live. The way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. The Bible says in chapter 1, verse 1, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. 
and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away, and therefore the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. So what we have here is two ways to live. You have the way of the righteous, and you have the way of the wicked. Now, the way that you live is determined by who you love or who you listen to, but who you love and listen to only reinforces how you live or the way that you live. And the way of you live, the way that you live has consequences. Hear me in this. There are only two ways. Now, we know that in Revelation chapter 3, the church at Laodicea was the church that was lukewarm. They were not hot or they were not cold. But the reality is in our lives, it really is one or the other. Because if you're lukewarm, what does the Bible say? I'd rather spit you out of my mouth. Why? Because if you're lukewarm, you're really acting as wicked. And so the righteous and the wicked is the way that we're going to live. Now, you might say those are pretty harsh or those are pretty, pretty high, high and lofty. Because after all, who can truly be righteous? And then again, wicked just sounds nasty, just sounds bad. Do we really want to call our children wicked? I mean, actually, yes, we do sometimes. But the, the, the fact is, we, by nature of being a human, are wicked. The Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. So it is true. Being righteous is too lofty. Being wicked, you don't have to try to do that. That's in the heart of mankind. So what are we to do? Well, the Bible tells us. It says, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. So happy is the result of the one who rejects the ways of the wicked. Now, you might have a, a, a translation of the Bible, that, uh, like a King James or something, that says, blessed are those. That, that's, that's the way we always used to quote this verse. This says happy because the word blessed really means happy. One who is joyful, one who has a completeness, one who has a wholeness. Hey, moms, what do you really want for your kid? You want them to be happy, right? You want them to be successful, you want them to be prosperous. The way that your child will be happy and successful and prosperous is if and only if they walk in the way of the righteous. If they walk in the way of the wicked, the alternate is the reality for them. The Bible says that if you walk in the way of the wicked, they are like chaff that are blown away by the wind, and therefore the wicked will not stand up in the judgment. So as a mom, what you want is for your child to be righteous. So the question then is, well, how do I do that? How do I raise a righteous child? How do I raise up a child who does not listen to the advice of the wicked, who does not sit at the table with the wicked or stand with the wicked? How, how do I do that? Well, the number one way to have your children be righteous is for you to be righteous. Because our children will reflect us most of the time. Now, here's the, here's the hard part about this message right now. 
If you have children who are past a critical age, it becomes more and more difficult to raise them in righteousness. When I say critical age, I'm talking about the age between three and eight or nine or so. I mean, it could be six, it could be 12, but basically it's that adolescent age, that that, uh, elementary school age. That is a critical time in your life. Actually, let me take that back. There's two, there's two divisions there. You have uh, about the age of two or three till about five or six. You have that age. And then you have about six or so until they're 11. Here's what it is. The early age, you are a cop. You want to know, you know, know how you know that? Because all you're saying is no, no, no. Do you ever feel? Shannon used to tell me, I feel like I only tell them no. And my answer was, that's because that's all you ever tell them is no. That's all we ever tell them is no. You see, when a child is in that stage of three to six or so, they need to know no. Why? Because the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all what? Wisdom. What is fear? Fear is a recognition of position or a recognition of authority. If a child doesn't have anyone in authority over them, they will do whatever seems right in their own eyes. And the Bible tells us that when we do what's right in our own eyes, it only leads to death, right? There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death, right? So the key, uh, 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 the sweet spot For raising your children in righteousness or to be righteous is that cop stage of their life. So when they're two or three until they're about six or so, you're basically teaching them that they are no longer or actually they never were the center of the universe. Because let's go back to the one to two-year-old. A one or two-year-old thinks that who's the center of the universe? They are. When they cry, they're telling you, I want something and I want it now, right? Doesn't matter if you fed me three hours ago, I want food now. That's their world. They have to learn that they're not the center of the world. A mistake that parents sometimes make is they let their children make too many decisions, they let their children have too many choices, and they let their children run the house. If that is the reality in your life, you're, 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 you're on a dangerous course of a child thinking that they truly are the center of their own universe. So that cop stage is very important because if you can establish for them that they are not the center of the universe, that no means no. And by the way, here's a silly thing that we we do as parents sometimes. We say, don't touch that. I'd say, don't touch that. Step away from it. One, two, two and a half, two and three quarters, two and seven eighths. Two and 15, 16, we're out of numbers, right? Now, if you've ever counted for your children, what do they do? They wait until you're saying three before they move, right? Why? Because you're teaching them that no, no really doesn't mean no. Counting means no. You say, well, Jeff, why in the world is this so important? Because if a child doesn't recognize that no is no, if they don't know that they cannot do whatever they want, they cannot think whatever they want, then that sets the stage for the rest of their life being in control of themselves, which ultimately is the way of the wicked. So you have, if you do a good job as a cop, then when they get six or so until about, they're about 11, here's what happens. 
they become a sponge. Everything you say, they're listening and they're learning. Because as a cop, you've become their hero. You've earned the right to be heard. And so now, everything you say, everything you do, they're soaking it in, and that will set the stage for righteousness in their life when they become 12 and 13, all the way up until 19 and even into adults. That's a whole other teaching we can go into, but I wanted to set that basis because of this. Because the Bible says that happy is the one. Happy is the one. If that's your goal as a mom, which it's our goal, right? Happy, prosperous, successful children. Happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. There's a progression here in a person. So happiness comes from a person who does not take the advice or listen to the advice of the wicked. And because they don't listen to the advice of the wicked, they don't stand in the pathway with sinners And because they don't stand, they also then don't sit with the mockers. So here's what these three three words mean. To walk is to pass on by. You're moving, but you're, you're hearing the voices from outside, right? It's like getting on Facebook and noticing that there are all kinds of political opinions. By the way, does anybody have a political opinion? Yeah, right, huh? Does anybody have a social uh, agenda? I mean, right, you get on Facebook and you have all these different opinions, and you know what happens? The, The opinion we listen to the most is oftentimes the opinion we begin to believe. That's what happens. We begin to believe what we hear. In fact, if you go all the way back to World War II, that was one of Hitler's great schemes, If we tell a lie long enough, people will eventually not believe the truth and they will believe the lie is the truth. That was how they deceived an entire nation. Well, right now, we are living in a time in our own culture where there are words that are being spoken to our children that wickedness is right and right is wrong. Cursed is the war, not cursed. When we call evil good and good evil, we are in desperate, desperate shape. And the number one first line defense for our children and what they believe is you as mom and you as dad. You are the filter. The hard thing is you really have to start, if you want the best out possible outcome for your children, you have to start when they are two. Now, here's the reality. Most of us cannot go back to when our children are two. Most of us wouldn't want to, (laughs) right? They call them terrible twos for a reason. Well, we lived through terrible twos, uh, horrendous threes, and awful fours. We had a strong-willed child. Anybody identify with that? Yeah, come on. You can show it. They're not here. Maybe they are. (laughs) So, uh, you, you should start back here, but if you didn't, there is hope because the grace of God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly more than all we could ask or imagine. God's power, He does have that ability. But we need to understand that the, the one who would listens to the advice of the wicked is the one who is in danger of standing. Now, the word walk is you're moving. The word standing, if you go into a, a city, you'll see these signs that say no standing, right? I used to think that meant, man, why can't you even stand there? I mean, what are they afraid of? It's when you drive your car and you pull over, you put it in park, and you just let the engine run, right? That's standing. These signs say no parking or standing, or no stopping or standing. So what was going on there is you intend to move, but you're, you're taking a closer look. You're, 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 you're coming in for a deeper inspection. 
That's dangerous because as you, if you listen to the advice and it causes you to stop, you're going to hear a, a more demonstrative explanation of the wrong thing. And if you stand long enough, you eventually decide, you know what, this is where I want to park. So you sit down and you're fully involved with scoffers. Now the problem with that is, the way of the wicked always leads to death. Now you might say, look, wicked is awful hard. I mean, that, it's, it's a hard thing to call people wicked. But the Bible calls us wicked. The Bible says that there's none righteous, not even one. Now, unless you're the exception to the Bible, even you are not righteous. The only, in in, in um, Genesis chapter 6, the Bible tells us that God sent a great flood because the inclination of man's heart was only evil all the time. Now, listen, you don't need me to tell you the depths of your own heart because you know, and I know the depths of my own heart. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah chapter 17 that the heart is deceitful above all else. Our heart can deceive us and bring us to a place we never dreamed imaginable. And here's the danger with that. Because of the, if we don't recognize the, the, the sinfulness, the wickedness of our own heart, we can think that everything's really okay in our life and we're not as bad as we really are, and that negates the full effect of the gospel. We don't need a Savior if we're not all that bad. We didn't need Jesus to die a criminal's death if we're not all that bad. Jesus didn't come to make good people better. He didn't even come to make bad people good. Jesus came because he brought dead people to life. Amen. You are not good. And I know that you didn't come to church to hear that, but there is a, there is a comfort that comes with that because if you're trying to be good on your own strength, you're going to fail every time and you're going to become disenchanted and you're going to become broken. You're going to wonder, why can't I get this right? You cannot get it right because you, it's your heart of heart and me in my heart of heart, we are wicked to the core and it's only by God's grace that life can be produced inside of us. So how do we find that? How do we find that life if we truly are so desperate? Well, the Bible tells us, instead, so instead of listening to the advice of the wicked, instead of standing with the sinners, instead of sitting with the mockers, he says, instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. Everything that we need for righteousness is found contained in God's word. Everything that we need. If you're struggling with anything, that struggle can be overcome by understanding what God has said to us through His Word. So as a mother, the most important thing that your child needs is not more activities, it's not more successful uh, uh, stories, it's not more pictures of whatever and whatever. What your child needs above all else is instruction in God's Word that goes through their ears and through their eyes and into their heart. And I said it that way on purpose because our children don't need us to tell them God's Word. They need us to live God's Word. It's a sermon that is lived out in front of them. Now look, if you're like me, there's times in the past that you didn't do that. There's times in the past that, that are embarrassing. And, they, and, and even now, if you think about it, you think, man, 
I, I screwed my kids up. Man, I didn't do this right or I didn't do this right. Listen, there's no condemnation for you because you cannot change the past. At this point, you rely upon God's grace and you, you surrender now in the parts that you hadn't surrendered before. There is this unbelievable ability for God to restore a thousand years of locusts. He can restore overnight. Listen to me. Overnight, God can do what you cannot do in a thousand lifetimes. So do not look back and let the enemy convince you that there's no hope. There is hope because the gospel is hope. It's completely hope. But it takes you as a mom and you as a dad. We're going to get to dads in June. And I got a word for you. I'm just telling you. I hope you come because there's time for us to be the parents that we're supposed to be. You say, well, I already am. Well, God bless you. Keep doing that. But if you're not, step in the line with God's word. Because if he delights in the Lord's instruction and meditates on it day and night, here's the promise. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Now, there's no guarantee that if you are righteous, your child will be. We sometimes take a proverb and we make it a promise, and that's what not, not what it is. It's not the book of promises. It's the book of Proverbs. We take the passage that says, raise up a child in the way he should go, and in the end, he will not depart from it, right? That's not a promise. It's a proverb, which means for most of the time, in general, when you are, are raising up a child the way it should go, in general, that is going to come back around and God's Word is going to bear fruit in their life. But again, a proverb is not a promise. It's a direction. It's wisdom. Because sometimes ungodly kids come from the godliest of parents, and sometimes Godly kids come from the ungodliest of parents. I don't know how that works. I can't explain it. All I can tell you, though, is that's, that's the extreme or that's the, that's the um, anomaly. By and large, when you live a righteous life, when you raise up your child the way that they should go from the beginning all the way up through, they will know the truth and the truth will be a part of their life. Because the Bible says he is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in season. Now flip over just a minute to Jeremiah chapter 17. I referenced it a moment ago, but I want to I show you that Jeremiah had, had the same word here. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 5 and following. 5, 6, 7, and 8. It says, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the person who trusts in mankind. He makes human flesh his strength and his heart turns from the Lord. He will be like a juniper in the Arabah. He cannot see when good comes, but dwells in the parched places in the wilderness and in salt land where no one lives. But the person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is the Lord, is blessed. He will be like a tree planted by water. It sends its roots out towards the stream. It doesn't fear what, when heat comes, and its foliage remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought or ceasing or cease producing fruit. Listen to this. Here's one, just one simple logical reason to raise your child in righteousness. Because if you do, and if they believe and begin to live in that righteousness, your child will send its root out towards a stream, 
and it doesn't and he doesn't fear when the heat comes and his foliage will remain green and it, he will not worry in a year of drought or cease to produce fruit that means whatever the world may bring your child will be okay if they're rooted and grounded in the truth of God's word with which brings forth righteousness so I said just a little bit ago that righteousness is too lofty to attain. Wickedness, you don't have to do anything. It's just part of who we are. But see, this righteousness is both a way of living and a condition of being. So you and I will never be righteous because we've done righteous things. Because all of our righteous acts, Isaiah says, are like sinful dirt or are like dirty rags. So no matter how good we act, we will never become righteous or be a, have a right standing before God. But what God has done by Jesus Christ dying on a cross is His death was the substitution for our death. And so it's called imputed righteousness. So that when you read God's Word and God's Word convicts you of sin and you recognize that you're lost... And you, you cry out to God and you receive the gift of God by faith. God gives you his imputed righteousness. The righteousness of Christ Jesus. So that you are no longer just a dirty, rotten, filthy sinner. You are a redeemed, bought with the price, child of the living God. That is your hope. That is how you are righteous in who you are, but because you are righteous, it is now your responsibility to live as righteous. I tell my son, I tell my daughters, I told them all, now it's, I guess I still tell them actually, I say, guys, listen, remember what your name is. Remember who you are. Because your name is to be desired above great riches. That's what the Bible tells us, right? And so because your name is Spoonie Barger, you are expected to behave and to act with honor, with character, with integrity, and with all those other things. And believe me, I will hear if you don't. They never want to get in trouble at school because if it was a justified trouble, they would always get in trouble at home. Isn't that right? Back in the day, I used to, they used to have spankings when I was a kid in school. I don't think they do that anymore. Dean Brown spanked me one time. I'll tell you the story another time. But I used to know my dad, because see, this is what my dad told me. Son, are you get in trouble at school and it was real, you're going to get in trouble at home because you carry my name. If you have been given the imputed righteousness of Christ, you carry his name. That's why you live righteous. How do you know what to do, though, if you don't know what God said is right? Close off the listening to everybody else, Amen. and we start listening to the voice that really matters. So I need to wrap this up, and I want to wrap it up by this. So in 2 Timothy chapter 2, or excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 1, I find it peculiar and yet comforting at the same time that Paul is writing his second letter to Timothy, and as he's writing this letter, he, he is encouraging Timothy in his faith. And, and remember, Timothy is Paul's protege. Timothy is going to carry out pastoral work and evangelist work that Paul was, never, was not able to finish doing. So Paul poured his life into Timothy. 
And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, in verse 5, he says this. He says, I recall your sincere faith. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and now, I am convinced, also lives in you. Mothers, there is your charge. A mother lived a life of righteousness so that the mother's daughter, Eunice, began to live a life of righteousness. The daughter, Eunice, lived a life of righteousness, so the son, Timothy, lived a life of righteousness. Do you see how it is passed from generation to generation to generation? Here's what's peculiar. It is strange that in these days... Paul would have mentioned the mothers and not the fathers. We don't know why. Could have been any number of reasons. But the mother's impact was so great that the child, Timothy, his life was dramatically and eternally altered because of it. So moms, you have such an incredible calling. Your calling is to live righteous yourself Walk by faith. Let the scripture be lived through you and you speak it in a way that your children cannot help but notice. My mom knows Jesus. An incredible, an incredible weighty responsibility. I had a thought here though. Some of you might say, well, you know what? I never had an example. I mean, my, my family history is just twisted and messed up, and, and I'm, I'm even caught up in it now. Here's the thing. It only takes one generation to change generations. Just one. You be the one who changes the generations that follow you. Now, some people would just use the past as an excuse of why I am the way I am, but because you love your children and your children's children, you acknowledge the pain of the past and you stand up and you stick a stake in the ground and you say, no more. My children and my children's children and my children's children's children will know that everything changed because God has called me to make that kind of a change. This morning, the invitation is really somewhat broad, but it's very simple. Moms, are you living a righteous life for your children to model? You ought to be able to say, son, be like me. Daughter, be like me. Now look, if you're not all the way there, today's a new day. I know this, there's not a person on the planet that does not want a relationship with their mother. There's not a person on the planet who will, who will not be greatly influenced by a righteous mother. They may, they may take a detour for a while, but you be righteous. And most often, that child's going to come back around. So that's number one. Moms, are you living a righteous life? 
Number two, this is for everybody. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, will you do so? What are you waiting for? I mean, if the Bible says that the, the righteous are blessed and the wicked will perish, why in the world would you neglect such a great salvation offered to you even now? We take a moment, close your eyes and bow your head. I want to invite you just now, take a moment, pray. Ask God, what is it that you want me to do today? What is it that you want from me, God? I'm going to pray and then we're going to stand and sing through this, this song. It is well. We'll put the words up. But as I pray, if God has called you to make a decision today, I want to invite you to do that. Make it publicly. Father in heaven, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your people. I thank you for this time together. I thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would open wide our hearts to receive all that you'd have for us to know. Because God, when we know the truth, the truth will set us free. I give you this time in Jesus' name. Find out more about First Baptist Church, Gulf